It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts Society-13.com I like to listen Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network Where stories live Listen to this podcast. Be aware, this show often uses very naughty language. If you don't like that, you shouldn't listen. Send your complaints to I am a whiny baby with no sense of humor at nightstory.com or stop by the studio. I'll take you for a ride to a story of my choosing. Hello and welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. I'm Immortal Alexander. I'm Jeanette Andromeda. This is episode 511, and today we're talking to Paul Sading. Paul is an author and an audio drama creator, and uh, I, I have rumors that he actually listens to this podcast too. One of the audio dramas that he produces is called Subject Found, and here is a teaser for that. And after that, we'll be coming right back onto the interview. So enjoy and see you soon. There's a monster among us. A monster that has haunted my dreams since I was six years old. A monster that made the Pacific Northwest its home long before Europeans found this continent. I'm Jared Strong, and I'm hunting this monster. These recordings will serve to document this pursuit so I can prove to the world that it exists. I won't stop until it's found. We woke up Saturday morning and headed down to the lake to do some kayaking and swimming. When we came back to the campsite hours later, it was destroyed. Your campsite was destroyed. It looked like a group of drunk teens came through and tore everything up. Our coolers were thrown across the site. The fire pit looked like something had run through it, tossing ash everywhere. One of our tents had been yanked from the ground and was shredded. We tried to salvage all the food we had and set camp back up again. My father was irate. Mother asked him if we could leave, but it was getting late and he'd been up late the night before and enjoying the evening. He didn't think we could make it back safely, and he was sure it was just stupid kids, he said. Mom wasn't too happy about that. It was a long night. We were quiet all evening as we ate and tried to distract ourselves with card games. My dog, a six-year-old collie, was being ridiculous. His name was Sam, and he 
just wouldn't lie down. Just kept pacing. It annoyed the hell out of me. We tried to settle in by watching the fire for hours. As a young kid, I don't remember everything, but I do remember just wanting to go to bed and get the night over. So I did, but not before my mother asked my father to keep the fire hot. They argued a bit because he didn't want to be up late and she didn't want to be without the fire and the safety it provided. It was obvious she was scared. I didn't understand why, but I could feel it from her. She was usually so steady. I don't know how long I'd been sleeping when Sam started whining. He always slept in the tent with me. It was a three-person tent, but with all my gear and clothes and Sam inside, it was pretty tight fit. His fidgeting bugged the hell out of me. I remember telling him to lie down, but he kept standing up and whimpering. He was looking towards the tent flap and pacing in any sliver of space he could find. It was late, though I'm not sure how late. Suddenly, Sam started losing his mind, whimpering like I was beating him. Then all of a sudden, he laid down, his head between his paws, and got real quiet. I had this sudden fear. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to turn my flashlight on. I was frozen, not daring to make a sound. To this day, I don't know why I felt like that. I just did. I laid there and didn't move a muscle except to reach for Sam. I thought I was trying to comfort him, but now I know I was really trying to comfort me. That's when I heard the growl. There was something outside my tent. I could hear it moving grunting and, and it tossing our stuff around. My parents unzipped their tent, a flashlight came on, and my father started yelling. Years later, he told me he was trying to scare the camp invader. Did it work? Not at all. All at once, the camp went from silent to absolute chaos. My father was yelling, my mother was screaming, and whatever was out there howled. It was ungodly, that howl. I'll, I'll never forget that sound. I had to unzip my tent. I had to get out. It, I felt trapped, like whatever was out there was going to discover me and I'd have nowhere to run. I figured if I was out of the tent, at least I could escape. Childish, I know. There was so much commotion outside, I couldn't get my tent unzipped quickly enough. The zipper kept getting stuck because I was shaking so badly. My mother, my mother kept screaming. I finally got the tent unzipped and Sam bolted out. I, I reached for him, but oh, once he had his mind set on something, that was it. I scrambled after him, not thinking about anything else, but my mother grabbed me before I ran more than a few feet. She was hysterical. I was little. I wasn't going to break free. She made sure of that. Even as dark as it was, I could make out enough of what was going on because my father had his flashlight and a lantern in the dirt, and it lit up enough of the sight. Enough to see our visitor. You never forget the first time you see a Sasquatch. Wait, you saw one of them? <laughs> 
Everyone's a skeptic until they see a Sasquatch. From that day on, we all believe. Welcome to the ninth story. This is the ninth story. You now know that times two. Um, today we're interviewing author and podcast creator Paul Sading or Sading. How do you pronounce your name, Paul? Sading. Sading. There's an A in there, everyone. Now you all know, <laughs> along with me. So, and you have uh, to say it enthusiastically like that as well. <laughs> Paul Sating. <laughs> 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 Suddenly everyone has battle axes in my head. Um, <laughs> So, Paul ha- is the creator from Subject Found and Diary of a Madman, along with a bunch of other stuff, which we are going to get into. Now that we've heard a little bit about your writing style, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about all the things you've been making? Oh, I can tell you lots about the things I've been <laughs> making, making sure. I love, I love talking about me. I'm my favorite subject. Well, then this will go well. <laughs> Paul, Subject Found. I say that tongue-in-cheek for anybody who doesn't. If they know me, they'll, they'll understand that. If they don't know me, they'll think, all right. You'll probably get your uh, worst download numbers ever. That's right. yeah. no, it's, it's, it's subject found. It's Paul. Subject found. There we go. <laughs> and go. Yeah, so um, uh, <laughs> how do you segue out of uh, an awkward, uh, narcissistic-sounding statement? Never. Well, once upon a time, I had a goldfish, but that's a story for another day. Paul. Oh, my God. You should, you should totally just throw that in sometime. <laughs> We'll, we'll throw it in at the end of the episode. Okay. Jeanette, at the end of the episode, as a bonus, Jeanette has this uh, story she came up with. So when the conversation gets awkward and everybody gets quiet for a second, Jeanette has this story specifically for that moment in any conversation. Yep. But we'll save that because yeah, this cause isn't now I'm awkward curious. at all. <laughs> Your curiosity will be sated later. <laughs> oh, interesting wordplay. I sated. know. I love it. Love it. So, all right. So, subject found, right? Is yeah. that what we're doing here? Yes. Well, I wanted to kind of talk about all of your. You have a lot that you've been making. Subject found, I've definitely been enjoying Diary of a Madman. And then I know because I was involved with A Winter's Harvest, and you have a whole bunch of other things. But yes. I guess, in, in, uh, I guess, overview wise, I would like to know, like, basically what kind of audio dramas you've been making, what kind of writing you've been doing lately, just like kind of touch on each one and then we'll, we'll go deeper as we talk okay. more. Cool. Um, well, yeah. So I've got three audio dramas that are currently, they currently exist. They are out there. There's a fourth one uh, called Family Portrait, which will be another um, horror. There's that weird word again, horror Ooh. podcast, audio drama. And it's it's really dark. It's kind of neat. I really like that one because one, it's not my creation, and two, I just get to do the writing, and somebody else does all the heavy lifting, which is always a challenge for me in the audio drama medium is doing all the technical production stuff. So, mm-hmm. so I've got those, and then um, I'm working always. I always work on some short stories. You kind of hinted at one, uh, with with a winter's harvest, but there's I do at least one a month because I I want to develop as a writer and I have found that short story writing really really helps me tighten my prose if you will and one of one of the critiques I've always gotten with my writing is you you write too much you overwrite and so I've you know I've taken that because I've gotten it from different people with different interests but it's that's been like one of the consistents is hey 
this is really cool. Your characterization is really strong, but man, stop writing, stop overwriting. Okay. So that's one of the things. So everybody wins. I, you know, I've got short stories that I put out there. Uh, so, so people who do like my writing can enjoy those, but I get to develop as a writer and that's something you know, I take very seriously. I don't want to ever get comfortable with my writing. Mm -hmm. And so those things allow me to do that is to kind of really focus on what is essential to this story right now and, and stop, you know, all that superfluous stuff on the side. Um, so I've got those. So I've got the audio dramas, the short stories, and I'm working on a novel that actually was inspired by my first audio drama, which is called Atheist Apocalypse. And it's kind of, it's really not kind of, it's really mm -hmm. deviated from that storyline. But I am 60, as of this morning, 204 pages, 64,000, 65,000 words into it. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm, awesome. And I'm really falling in love with that story again. So that's really cool for me pers you know, personally. Well, I, it, it can be hard when you're working on something bigger. Like I have fallen out of love of so many projects to be able to fall back in love with it is really, it is magical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like how you put that, you know, falling out of love. It's, it's hard to hate the thing that you used to love, mm -hmm. even though it's uh, just a concept or a story. It really is. Yeah. It's like, it was so magical to me at one point. Why isn't the magic there anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Almost takes you back to high school, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I was thinking of that <laughs> specifically. And Paul, I, I was actually, I mean, uh, the short stories you're talking about are the ones on your website that have the PDF and the uh, audio version, correct? Correct. Yes, they are. Uh, and I've got, you know, I, four or five more in the queue because like, like, you know, a lot of people in the audio drama community, I've got that audio drama bug. Uh, I have to work months and months ahead of schedule to get those. I could narrate those. Mm -hmm. Some of them I will, but I don't want to do that because I really enjoy the, what do you want to call it? The expansive, the expansiveness of the story through that audio drama, you know, approach. So I just, I, I, I don't feel like I'm being true to the story now. And it's really weird for me because mm -hmm. I feel like I'm actually writing toward an audio drama even for those short stories so it's been a real weird uh you know transcendent existential type of crisis i've been having over the past few months with this stuff <laughs> have you collaborated with any other projects i was looking up your name on uh, amazon to see if i can find any other works of yours and i found uh two works by casper rigsby do you know anything about those or are those something you, you collaborated with or helped out with the only thing i did with those was just offer um you know, whatever, for whatever it's worth offer my voice. I just narrated his audio, audio books. I didn't actually collaborate gotcha. on it. Oh, yeah, wonderful. That stuff. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I wanted to, that was in between leaving, uh, doing like talk show podcasting and actually getting very serious about my writing again for the first time in probably at least a decade. Uh, so that was something I filled in between while I was still, you know, trying to find myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, and wanting to, you know, stay involved and, and work with other folks. But as far as collaboration, um, obviously, subject found to a certain degree is, though, mm -hmm. most of that comes in on the back end with, the obviously, the actors and the production. Atheist Apocalypse has been from its inception and still is as we get ready to start uh, producing se uh, season four. But, you know, at, at certain points, that, that team 
has ranged from almost almost 20. I think we had 18 at one point, which was a lot. That's, down that's to huge. Uh, yeah, oh, it's it's for me personally way too big. Now we've got about uh, 10 or 11, but of those, only three people are writers. Another uh, a fourth person is an editor, so it's much much more manageable than what it started nice. out as. <laughs> yeah. So, um, since I, for one, <laughs> am not familiar with Atheist Apocalypse, can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's another audio drama. Yeah, it's an audio drama. It's a comedy. So I don't just do, you know, the darker things. I and and I actually started. That's how that was my introduction to audio drama. So anybody who has listened to Subject Found and, you know, dug it or even Diary of a Madman and didn't get freaked out by what they hear <laughs> there. Uh, Atheist Apocalypse was actually my first. And you'll believe it because you'll go back to listen to that first ever episode and you'll be able to tell, wow, this is <laughs> this is a couple people who need to learn a few things before they do this again. But uh, it's, it's a comedy, a satirical comedy is what I call it because essentially... Uh, <laughs> Like a lot of creatives, I get heartbroken and frustrated with the world and the ugly things that people do to each other, and I don't understand why. And one of the ways that creatives deal with that, the stress and the depression and all that stuff, is they go make something. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what Atheist Apocalypse was born out of. Me personally, I was in a dark place, a depressed place, like month months-long depression type of stuff. And I needed something to to deal with the anger I was feeling and the frustration and, and the depression. And that's what was uh, that's what was born out of that. I was doing some serious uh, house project. And so a lot of manual labor helped lift that kind of cloud of depression, helped see things a little easier. And then it just came to me one day, you know, atheist apocalypse as I started looking at the, the world. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know dystopia and the <laughs> apocalyptic type things I was seeing. and But I didn't want to do something that dark and comedy seemed to be the way to go. So if you aren't easily offended by your political beliefs or your uh, religious beliefs or your social beliefs, and you understand that it's just it, really the, the spirit of that show is if we all could stop having hurt feelings and have an honest discussion about things, the world would be a much more... Uh, understanding beautiful place that's kind of where the the underlying theme of that show but in in doing that we have to poke some sacred cows and get people to look at things that they might not (laughs) feel comfortable with so that's what and it's a lot of fun some talented people too gosh i've worked with some talented people on that show yeah like i I really think that we as human beings uh use comedy to better understand things because it's our first uh, reaction to anything we don't understand is to, to poke fun of it but then if you right. use uh, comedy, comedy can be very disarming. So now you can actually have a real genuine conversation and people more willing to learn or hear things. Uh, we're seeing a lot of different shows that are doing that. I can't remember the show, the one that's about the afterlife. Um, Dead Like Me? No, where it's like Limbo and, and, and uh, talking about heaven directly. I think, I think Ted, uh, is it Ted Danson? Isn't it? I can't remember the name of the actor. Uh, the guy from, from uh, Cheers that was the main one of the main characters in Cheers. Hmm. Uh, is the is the main actor in it, and and it's like he's like he's an angel, and it's like you're in the I I, don't, I haven't watched it, but I saw it, I saw like a previews of it, and it looked interesting. And then you have things like the Cosby Show that uh, made everybody learn more about you know, um, you know, black families and what those are really like, 
if you're not right. you know if you know if you live in an all white neighborhood and you don't know what a black family is really like uh that was really teaching people about that and then you have other shows now that are coming out that are doing the similar things that are uh showing people different points of view and then by doing so and through comedy you actually learn something and people are more open don't feel like they're being preached to exactly exactly and, and so we do we don't and you know kind of kind of like what you're saying there we want to address those important issues everybody that worked who works on that show you know is very much a humanist we don't agree ideologically mm-hmm. on politics and religion and, and social issues necessarily but we can actually like you're like you were saying we can be honest enough with each other where we can we we can construct these you know this show hopefully get a lot of laughs out of it and even if if nothing else on a subconscious level you know, maybe get somebody to go, huh, I never thought of something like that, you know? And you're also, it's actually really good that you have a bunch of different people with different points of view having that conversation because if you're talking to a bunch of people with the same perspective as you, they're nodding their heads before you even open your mouth. Whereas if you have a bunch of people with different perspectives, you're actually learning something in that context of that conversation. Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's really, it's a fun show. It's a rewarding show. We're uh, we finished our third season in at the end of December, and we ne- I needed to unplug from it because I mean, you you all you're both Americans you know what we were going through in that time period mm-hmm. with the post election type stuff. Mm-hmm. So I needed to get a because when you write satire, you have to be current and relevant. Mm-hmm. And man, it exhausted me <laughs> mentally, exhausted me. So we took a a little bit of time off to kind of for everybody to refresh. And then we went back and uh, uh, re-engaged in season four and everything's recorded. We just need, we're at that point now where we're editing all the, all the actor lines and, you know, right on the cusp of starting to produce it. So it'll be out in a season four will come out in a few more months and we're really excited. It's our biggest season, most important season ever. So yeah. That's awesome. So um, I asked our Facebook group questions <laughs> to ask you while we were recording today. And uh, as you know, because I in- involved you in that conversation, there's one question that is very, very, very pressing. And we're going to ask questions that everybody asked. But Paul. Yes. Asked by yourself. <laughs> How did you become so incredibly awesome while maintaining your dashing appearance. <laughs> you know, humility is one of my better attributes, I must say. Uh, as soon as I saw that question, I had I had to. Uh, I had to be snarky. And I worry sometimes. There was a time uh, I made a comment, thankfully, to John Grills of Small Town Horror on, on his personal Facebook page. Uh, and I realized when I put it out about a half hour later, because I'm like a butter knife in a drawer full of steak knives. I'm not very sharp in comparison to others. And uh, I realized, wow, that really made me sound like an asshole. I need to go apologize to John. And, you know, in the private message, he said, oh, no, I, t- I totally got it. I totally expected that out of you. He said, but, you know, you might want to delete the comment because others don't know you like that. I get that reaction all the time. So. <laughs> So sometimes you need a delete button. <laughs> I do. I need the delete button of life sometimes. I really do. 
we're, we're actually trying actively to leave a lot of fun things into the episode, even our mistakes, because, uh, you know, I think it, it's like if you make something super clean, like Dan Foytick, when we first took before we took over this podcast, we had a conversations and, and he was and he was telling us about, you know, about editing the editing the audio that, um, you know, he would, you know, delete every breath and every weird sound and any little thing. And like we I do keep, you know, cut a few things out and clean it up a little bit. But, you know. As far as the actual content, what we say and how we say it, it's okay for us to be flawed because it makes us human and our flubs kind of, you know, make it feel like a person's talking and not a robot. Yeah. And, yes. I, and okay. I will say that Dan used to, when he first started, go back and delete every single um. And then by the time we showed up, he'd become a lot more relaxed with his editing, which is why this kind of works. Um, <laughs> see? <laughs> I, I can totally, I can totally relate because I did the same thing. Every time somebody ummed, every lip smack, drawn breath. Yep, I went back. And that's back when I was using Audacity. And anybody who's ever used that knows how difficult that can be to edit. And I was going with Audacity back through these, you know, some of these shows were an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. So 90 minutes of content of looking for those little, tiny little bubbles that indicated that was a drawn breath. Oh, no. Or, <laughs> no, it was, I don't know why we do these things. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think. I, there's a beauty to that, that, you know, that imperfection, that frailty of the human spirit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just personally prefer to be flawed because then I, no one has to think I'm perfect. Now In, that's yeah. exhausting. Like our, like our voices sound kind of not great today, but that's okay. We're here. I'm losing my voice. But that seems to happen a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's I, spring, so. I wanted to kind of go back to two things you mentioned when you were first uh, talking was... You were saying that you like you like have this tendency to overwrite things. When you say overwrite, what do you mean? When I the the points when I'm writing in in the actual act of writing, I don't feel it. I don't analyze it. It's kind of like a brainstorm session at work, you know, where the boss gives you all a problem that you need to fix. He doesn't care how it happens, just get it done and you just throw as many things up on the little sticky chart as you can. That's kind of what I, where I go when I'm writing. I, you know, turn the music on. I, I'm into that computer screen. I'm there in that world, and it just flows. And I don't. So I'm not. I'm not cognizant of it when I'm writing. So, when I go to the back to the editing or the reread portion of it, I think. One of my blind spots is that I don't see it even in the edit. It still feels relative to the story in that moment. And I'm learning still. I mean, very much still learning through the, you know, the kind and gracious feedback of others that those things that are that I can see is related to the story might not necessarily be related to the story. If you cut them out, the story still survives it still remains intact and it's actually clearer and I, I i think early on and i know i've talked to other writers who do the same thing i think for me it's a confidence thing i need to wow you with my elegant prose and my extensive vocabulary <laughs> to prove to you that i'm legitimate at what i do and then as i've you know listened to others and i've taken that constructive feedback I've realized, wow, they're absolutely right. I could literally cut out this, you know, 400-page sequence of paragraphs and nothing in the story is lost. 
So that's what I mean is I will not necessarily over describe because I'm not much in the way of, you know, in description. It, it kind of turns me off when, when authors or, or writers will do that. They'll over, they'll be over, overly descriptive, but I need to tell you the, you know, the, the train of thoughts or the, you know, the, the emotional cognitive state of the character when X, Y, Z is happening over here. And I've realized that that thread never actually goes anywhere. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean when I overwrite is I wanted to, I want to really make a third, a three-dimensional character for you, but there's a, there's a, a line to that. And what, what I was doing, I was, I was going way too far for what a third three-dimensional character required. As far as, as far as the concept of overwriting, I guess uh, something I've had to learn with, while you know taking courses myself on learning on writing and writing every week on the blog, I write short stories, poems, and all that. That um, we sometimes have to remi remind ourselves that the person on the other end is an should be an active participant. And that they're going to be filling in the gaps, whether it's in audio drama form or in written form, they're going to be actively filling in those gaps. And by doing so, they feel more connected to the piece. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that thought. And, and yeah, I mean, like like all of us, you know, being involved in enjoying horror, we, I think we know and our readers know when we have cr constructed a scene, a world, a story arc that keeps them on the edge of their imagination. And, and like you were saying, making them fill in those gaps, that's when it's the scariest. Mm -hmm. That's when they're on edge. That's when they feel maybe even bubbling anxiety. And, and we don't push them over the edge and cause anybody trauma, but we keep them, we tease them. We keep them right there on that edge because we're keeping that nice balance, like you said, mm -hmm. in, in, in helping them or at least it, giving them the platform for them. I don't want to be told what the monster looks like. I want you to give me enough about the monster where I can paint that picture and, and you've got me turning on the lights in the room because I just don't feel e at ease reading <laughs> what you're writing. That's when you've done a good job. Mm -hmm. If you come out and you tell me, oh, I hate that when, when horror writers do that. When they tell me what the monster is, I don't want to see it that clearly because that's one of the things I get out of Diary. Diary of a Madman seems to be very polarizing. Either people really avidly love it or they, you know, they hate it. They don't want anything to do with it. And uh, that's one of the things that I've enjoyed about that is the feedback from the folks that do love it is what about it keeps them on edge because I – use that as an experiment as a con concept show for me i want to fill it in and i want to put in i want to play around with audio things that i find creepy mm -hmm. and i want to try to create those as well and i get a lot of feedback from people that be just be because i put those whether it's the storyline or what i use as a soundscape those listeners are are filling in those gaps and they're imagining what is doing that what is making that sound and they love it, or it's the it's exactly the stuff that gets people to turn turn it off, and, and that's exactly where I wanted to be with that show, and I think that's what, I think we have a responsibility as horror writers to do that to the folks that we're victimizing. <laughs> 
Yeah, you you want to create a, an emotional response one way or the other, and and for some people it's more extreme. Uh, there was that movie, uh, was it Maniac? That's all in first person. They they just did a remake with uh, mm-hmm. um, oh, Timothy the actor. Um, Radcliffe. Uh, not Radcliffe, the guy from Lord of the Rings that played Elijah uh, Wood. Elijah Wood. Yeah, and and all done in first person, and it's one of these things where you can't look away, you can't look away. You're always getting that perspective as if you're the person doing the act, and uh, I just think it's it's a very interesting perspective. We actually had a whole episode like a week or so ago about first person narrative and the benefits and and, and negatives and positives of that uh, format. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm with. I haven't seen that though. I need to uh, check that out. It would be it would be right in vain with Diary of a Madman. Okay. Oh, I definitely need to check that out. Then. I mean, I mean, for me, it's like it was difficult to watch because it's not my cup of tea typically. But I always push myself to watch and experience and read things that are not my normal uh, type of things that I ingest as a, as, as a consumer as a, as a consumer of media, and uh, just to see how they you know what how they got there you know narratively and and the process and to understand that kind of storytelling in order to you know have a better grasp at how it was created in the first place i think that's a responsible thing to do i mean that that speaks well of you there's there are a lot of folks who won't do that Mm -hmm. and and i don't know how they grow as writers when they restrict themselves like that slowly You'll grow faster if you water something. <laughs> yeah, except beautiful. Yep. It might even grow faster if you add something new, like fertilizer. Who knows? <laughs> Crazy. Like, Weird. Like even though it's been like really like super difficult to get through, and I'm just chipping away at it. There's this new drama on Netflix called Thirteen Reasons Why. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. And it's all about uh, teen suicide in the context of high school. And and it's about a girl who commits suicide, and then at, at after she dies, this box of tapes shows up on this kid's doorstep, and this tapes now been these box of tapes have now been passed around to every single person that affected her like a butterfly effect that caused her to commit suicide, and every single person has to listen to all thirteen sides of these tapes, these cassettes, and it's 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 in modern times, so they all have to go find a cassette player and then listen to these things. And it's a really interesting uh, epi- you know, uh, series. The first episode just completely knocked me on my ass. I had a, I, like, a really hard time. It took me like a day and a half to recover after watching it because it's so powerful and so emotional. But then once I started watching it by myself, because Jeanette is having a hard time with it. I couldn't watch it. It, um, it just struck too many personal chords. Yeah, and we, and we were we were, yeah. we were going through our own personal things right now that are they're really well tied into the show. So we were just, as far as people in our lives so it was something personal to us but i still felt both as a writer and as a human being that's struggling to understand things uh that it's a it's a fascinating watch for that reason mm-hmm. oh i'm gonna definitely i'll check it out and i appreciate the uh, warning on it too but I, i'll check it out especially if it elicits the, those kind of reactions yeah you know it if is, it's done it responsibly powerful. i mean that's powerful that's you know I, I i think all of us would would aim for that not that we want to Again, you know, with the, with the right vector on that. Mm-hmm. What they were saying, a lot of people have been saying with reviews is like it's one of the best, one of the best, or the best young adult drama uh, in the last like ten, fifteen years. That's you know, and so there, it's a lot of high praise for the show. Wow. Okay. And even as someone who, as myself, I can't watch it because it, it is eliciting too much of an emotion from me. 
Uh, yeah, it's incredibly well written <laughs> and incredibly okay. well done. Um, I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. So to uh, finagle it back towards your direction, the conversation that is, uh, Dan, as in Dan Foytek, <laughs> wanted Dan to- Dan the man. Dan the Love man. Love that dude. Okay, so Dan, Mr. Foytek, Mr. Dan Foytek, would like to know what got you into creating audio dramas? Oh, gosh. Um, All the way back. <laughs> all, yeah, I know, right? You gotta go way back. Okay, so back in the day, I did- talk podcasts about serious issues i and and i don't go much into it because i don't uh i don't i want to leave that part of my life behind me Mm -hmm. and focus on the creative part of my life going forward because i'm a much healthier happier person in this element in creating and and engaging with folks like yourselves uh, you know other creators and the folks who appreciate what we do Mm -hmm. but back then i was doing a serious talk podcast but there were i was trying to information share i was trying to teach people foreign concepts about you know certain social uh, um topics and i realized because it wasn't originating in a western concept it's very difficult for people to wrap their heads around this and if they are serious about addressing the social issues of marginalized uh disempowered people I needed to help them relate to it. So in order to do that, I can't, you know, give them the textbook reason why they should care. I need to kind of elicit emotional response and kind of westernize it. So how do I westernize it? Oh, by telling stories. So I would create skits to teach a very serious topic to an audience that was seeking very serious insight on very serious issues. And I realized I, I really enjoyed that part of those, those podcasts. Those were my favorite most favorite times by by a long shot. So I started um, I started getting a lot of compliments on it and a lot of feedback. And then one person said, hey, do you ever listen to, I don't remember the phrase, uh, what they used to describe audio drama? And I said, no, I don't even know what that is. And they, of course, pointed me to Welcome to Night Vale. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh my God, this stuff exists? This is awesome. So I went from Welcome to Night Vale back to... Um, uh, Casey Whalen's uh, We're Alive mm-hmm. uh, show, and I did not realize this stuff was, and so I did like most people, I consumed everything I could, and it, it all just fell together. I was doing that serious stuff, I was being worn out by that serious stuff, and I, through a listener, found audio drama, and that's when Atheist Apocalypse was born, because I wanted to write, and I had tried my hand at writing. I wrote a 300,000 word epic fantasy high fantasy book back in the uh, mid 2000s uh that i knew because i got smarter on the publishing industry mm-hmm. about the publishing industry i realized as a first-time author that'd never get picked up by anyone mm. and i wanted to write and i wanted to interact with the people who actually enjoyed anything that i wrote whether it was one person or not so that's why audio drama because i wanted to create again i wanted to be happy creating and I wanted to see if there was anybody who cared to listen to anything I wrote and the traditional publishing route was not feasible Mm -hmm. and arguably is even less feasible nowadays Mm -hmm. and I was ignorant about self-publishing options Um, not necessarily that it was there but how how feasible it is to become self-published but that still meant time 
Whereas audio drama, I could get stories out there much more quickly and see if this was something I really wanted to get back involved in. You know, anybody who writes knows what kind of time investment that is. You sacrifice a lot mm-hmm. to, to create what you're creating. And audio drama just made sense. And then once I was in it, I really started falling, lo- falling in love with the art form. I really did. You know, working with other talented creatives and then starting to understand the, the audio side of it, all that production, fully creation, sound effects, soundscape, how it all ties in. I mean, it's, you know, you could do your own study in this stuff once you get into it. So that's, and I, so I fell in love with it. Natural course for me. <laughs> so, so now that you've, you've kind of started to reach this, uh, this question we had is a uh, subject found in particular, it has a very layered soundscape, you know, for example, you know, crowds of a diner and having breakfast and things like that. Where do you find all of your sounds or do you make all of them yourselves? Uh, combination. We, uh, make some ourselves and we uh, actually will go out and source some of them, whether that's, you know, actually paying for the professional product or using creative commons type material out there kind of depends on, you know, what it is. And we, and we mix things too. Um, There's one of the consistent compliments we got was on the Bigfoot calls in that season one, the first season, spoiler alert, first season (laughs) of subject found is all about, one one person's pursuit of getting answers on does Bigfoot exist or not. And uh, some of those were, I, I got permission to use those from people who, investigators who go and actually in real life attempt to find evidence for Bigfoot. Cool. And then some of them I created myself. One of them, one that elicited a lot of good, a lot of compliments is a Creative Commons sound effect for a cow. I, I played around with it for, you know, a half an hour one day, seeing what I could do. And I was like, oh, hey, wait, <laughs> I tripped. I tripped across it. And it sounded like a lot of the things that I found on the Internet that were, you know, purportedly sounds of Bigfoot calls out in the wilderness. So, yeah. So one of them's a cow. Well, <laughs> we, we use it a couple different times, but you're listening to a cow when you hear Bigfoot. <laughs> That's amazing. The mystery is solved. Bigfoot is a cow. It is a cow. <laughs> a really big, angry cow. And I, I can't remember what they used for the sound of the T-Rex in uh, Jurassic Park. It was some other animal. Uh, there are a lot of creepy... A Diary of a Madman, I mm-hmm. try to play around with the... Um, oh, shoot. Now I've forgot the, the technical name of it. But at the um, at the megahertz level, that that is too too fine for the human ear mm-hmm. i try to play right around on that border and uh anyways so i i've gone out and i've got quite a library of animal sounds that i'll go download and play with and see what i can create there's a lot of them in diary of a madman there you'd be amazed anybody who's never done it go google you know creepiest sound in animals and see what mm-hmm. you find <laughs> that'll be interesting <laughs> now i need oh, to yeah. go play with that after this <laughs> rabbit hole rabbit hole <laughs> yep um, so on the same topic of finding sound, um, Dan Foytek also wanted to know, where did you find all of your voice actors? I have some inside knowledge on that, but I'm curious. <laughs> how do you find all your voice actors? Because you have quite a few. Yeah, the uh, community of audio drama is absolutely, it's a beautiful place to be. It really is. It's a healthy community. 
some people may argue differently, but hmm. I argue if you've ever been in any other, at least podcasting community, this community is very, very kind and very giving of their time. So a lot of it comes from um, that that community, but I also put out calls because I want to keep it fresh. I want to... There, the thing about people who voice act is they are creatives. They will see a line that I hear in my head and they will propose or without permission, give me that line done a little differently. And more times than not, it's much better than what I heard in my head. Hmm. So I get, you know, as an extrovert, I get, I get energized working with other people, other creatives. So I've, you know, I found him on my Facebook uh, thread, John, John McLean. He's the owner of uh, Dog and Pony Studios in uh, Las Vegas. He is Jared in season one of Subject Found. He is a networking person on my Facebook page. He was. Let me correct that, John, before I hurt your feelings. Mm-hmm. He was a, just a networking person. I saw that he was professionally, for a living, he works in sound design sound engineering, things like that. Mm-hmm. And he do, he was aspiring to do some other stuff. And I put the call out on my personal Facebook page as well. And I said, hey, if you've ever thought of doing something like this, you know, now I realize that may scare some people because they would be overwhelmed with responses. Uh, I, I'm pretty high energy, so I can deal with heavy, you know, a heavy workload like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did because the minute I heard his audition for Jared Strong, I knew that was the guy. That was the voice I heard in my head when I was writing it. And, you know, I've done things like Reddit before and and Facebook groups, Twitter. I've used Twitter and asked people to, um, you know, retweet that or or send to their folks in their circles. There are tens of thousands of people looking to get into voice acting and they don't know how. So the the more approachable you are and the wider you cast your net, you'll be amazed um, what you have out there. And, and if you handle relationships on a professional level, mm-hmm. uh, the opportunities, I mean, Jeanette, I mean, I got to work with you <laughs> because, because of Dan, Dan, I said, I said, man, I'm really struggling for this. Uh, I had someone local try it. I, I couldn't do anything with her sound and I was in a pinch. And like many times, Dan throws me the the uh, life preserver and says, "Here, Paul, cling on. I've got you." <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it's those things about the community. The community will point you in the in the right direction as well. And uh, so, uh, also uh, one of our community questions, Dan Foytick from the Wicked Library and the Lift has also asked you. Um, so he wants to know if your writing style has changed now that so much of it has been uh, done for audio. Yeah, it it has. It's gotten a lot tighter. When I, I I had Atheist Apocalypse going, and I knew that I could not do satirical comedy forever. It would wear on me too much. That's what led me to thinking of other things I wanted to do, which is what Subject Found was born out of. I love sometimes, and I love to hate, American Horror Story. Mm-hmm. Some seasons are absolutely masterpieces in some seasons I don't know what they were thinking but I love that structure that they do and I thought I don't think anyone in audio drama is doing that where they will have a consistent 
uh, writing team and a majority of their actor cast is consistent, but they intentionally freshen up the actor cast and the story under the same umbrella every single season, like American Horror Story does for television. And that's why Subject Found was born, was because I wanted to do that. And there are, I'm a geek about legend and lore. I'm just fascinated by it. And those ideas just, I mean, you guys probably know how it goes. When you have that epiphany, when you have that moment of clarity and everything just falls together, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's how that show was born. It was, it took three seconds. I realized what I wanted to do and how it was going to be done. And I just started throwing ideas down on a scrap paper, (laughs) uh, to, to wear that out. So having atheist apocalypse bearing subject found because I wanted to get into paranormal and horror and thrillers and realizing I wanted to play around more with my storytelling, uh, with a character that's been in my head for 20 years, which is what you got with diary of a madman. Mm. Um, I realized I went, I had to shelve this novel I was working on so I could write atheist apocalypse. I do about 80%, 85% of the writing for that show, all of subject found all of diary, um, I, I needed to get those two projects going because I realized Atheist Apocalypse wouldn't be around forever. And I that meant that I had to put that book on the shelf. After the first season of, or I'm sorry, my, my apologies, after season three of Atheist Apocalypse, I got season four knocked out. While season one of Subject Found was going on air, I was already finishing up season two of, of it and writing uh, season one of Diary of a Madman. And then once those were out there and I got a head on subject found, I got a head on the next season of Diary of a Madman, I finally realized, man, I've got time to get back to my book because it has been calling to me. (laughs) Paul, you must come back. Please finish this story. Never mind the fact that my wife has told me the same thing, that she needs me to finish it Mm because she wants to see how it ends. Um, I realized you know, because you got to re, you got to anchor yourself again in the story. I had to go back to page one and start reading it again, and it was about thirty-five thousand words at that time. <laughs> I realized, oh my God, I—that's where I was telling you guys about the overwriting. Mm-hmm. People had been telling me about overwriting, <laughs> and when I went back to look at that book again for the first time in over a half a year, I realized, wow, there's a lot of stuff I can cut out of this. So it has changed. I've gotten tighter. I've stopped worried worrying about necessarily uh, using adjectives where, that are I, superfluous, mm-hmm. it, taking them out and seeing how that sentence reads and going, oh, my God, it actually does still read the same, mm-hmm. and it's a lot cleaner and tighter. So, yeah, it, it has tightened immensely, and I'm, I'm grateful for this experience because it taught me that. If it hadn't been for audio drama, I don't know if I ever would have seen that in my other writing. Yeah, audio drama really, it forces you to be more efficient with your writing because no one's going to listen for like seven hours. I mean, they will, but split up into different episodes at least. <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, if you wander, they're going to let you know that uh, that's the that's the beauty of this medium is you're going to get that feedback immediately. Uh-huh. What, you know, as a, as a writer, as an aspiring author, what do you do with that? Do you fight it? Or do you go, huh, they may be onto something. (laughs) And I'm glad people did because, again, I feel much, I can't 
I don't get enough writing time in the day on this novel because I'm that excited about it again. You know, kind of like we were saying earlier, uh, Jeanette, about falling in and out of love with something. I'm totally, you know, head over heels, want to take this thing to the prom kind of love. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Um, I'm also, I'm, I'm curious, when you were preparing for Subject Found, was Sasquatch always kind of like the initial subject? Uh, and, and was it because you had just a general fascination with it? Yeah, because, you know, because that show was always going to be legend and lore, uh, you, you never know how you're going to be received when you create something. I didn't know how folks were going to take just the concept of subject found, never mind, uh, you know, that first season. So I I went into it, worst case scenario planning, that's the old military dude in me. I went into it thinking, okay, I get one season at this, and if it fails, it fails. But I'm going to get one story out there. Which story is it going to be? And for me, by a long shot, it's always been Bigfoot. I've been in love with Bigfoot since I was, I mean, you know, playing with Tonka trucks, you know, out in the dirt driveway back in upstate New York. I've always loved it. So, yeah, it was always going to be Bigfoot. How could it not be? Look at Harry and the Hendersons. Such an adorable <laughs> movie. How can you not love Bigfoot? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I always wanted to, to tell a Bigfoot story. So I wanted to straddle that, that line of suspending belief through those 10 episodes and make it something that even a person who laughs at Bigfoot hunters and, and investigators that they look at it and go, you know what? That was done well. I, I don't want to be those shows that you see on um, certain cable channels. <laughs> I wanted it to, I wanted, and, and I, fortunately, I feel I hit that right because I haven't heard anybody sell it short. And the feedback that, that does pertain to that, folks, that's what they'll say is, you know, I couldn't care less about Bigfoot, but I really love this story. That nice. was a lot of fun. Yeah. And so what did you do to prepare for this project? I interviewed uh, a couple people who actually do this in real life. They go out. I mean, I live 40 miles south of Seattle. So and, and towards, well, you can't go towards the west because there's a lot of water, but southwest of Seattle. So I'm right at, on the Pacific uh, or on the uh, Olympic Peninsula, most of which are cities, towns that exist on the coast and the whole and 90% of that peninsula is national forest. So it's very sparse as far as you know, human population. And this is where a lot of stories will come out of. So it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. I've got a lot of resources right here in, in my backwoods, if you, in my backyard, if you will. So I talked to a lot of folks and I spent God knows way too much time on YouTube, <laughs> looking at uh, videos of Bigfoot, you know, evidence of Bigfoot, and talking, you know, I don't, I don't knock these folks. I can't prove that it doesn't exist. I don't worry about it. I've romanticized Bigfoot. I love the topic. I hope it, I hope it never is disproved. If it's going to be in my lifetime, I love it that much. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I also realize the need for skepticism. So I talked to those folks. It took a lot of time to build relationships that I wasn't coming at them to ridicule them or, or publicly shame them or anything like that. I really wanted to know. And um, there's a gentleman who I use his sound bites in every episode 
in that first season, he was he's a Washington area Sasquatch research organization. Oh, he's gonna kill me if I got that wrong. But anyways, uh, wonderful man. He he gave me so much insight to what it's really like to do this. And, and I was lucky to speak to a couple other folks like him to try to do justice by Jared Strong's story because the story really is about you know chasing childhood childhood demons and trauma it's it's not about bigfoot bigfoot's the eye candy of that story it's really you know about jared chasing his demons and all that other stuff is you know kind of like the eye candy it's the fun Mm -hmm. part of it so yeah lots of research with real people and lots of youtube videos and and bigfoot pages you know there's a ton of resources out there so it was really it was easy it was all about finding the time to actually do it. Mm-hmm. So um, one last question about subject found, and this one comes from Adam, and he was wondering, what should we expect in season two? A whole lot of fun. Nice. <laughs> yeah, season two was, uh, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Season one came out very easy. easy. It was easy to write because that was, you know, my childhood wrapped up in, you know, 45,000 words kind of thing. It was, you know, it was very easy. Season two wasn't. I'm not a particular geek about this certain lore that is going to be featured. And I struggled at first. I made a couple character decisions. And once I did that, it's really weird, right? As writers, when you do that, something's just not working and you're banging your head against a wall. And then sometimes, like as in season two, I changed, I got rid of one character, completely wrote them out, deleted them. I didn't even write them out. <laughs> they just never existed now. And I changed the gender of another character and everything came to click together. So it's going to be fun. I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky. It's a, um, it's an opportunity for Heather out and she, plays Beatrice on Atheist Apocalypse. She played Maria Strong in season one. Mm-hmm. She's going to be the lead. And she is, inc- anybody who listened to the season finale of Diary of a Madman knows what she's capable of. Her her talent is just boundless. So she is a very interesting character, very complex character. And I can, I, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a ninth story exclusive. It is not set in the Pacific Northwest. This one, we actually go to the south. Whoa. Yep. So there you go. Ninth story listeners, you got an exclusive what's come, a little bit of what's coming in season two. (laughs) But we are going to stay true to the structure. Ten episodes are going to tell the entire story. It will center around lore and and legend and uh, the cast, uh, very female-centric cast. There's only two male actors for the uh, entire season. So it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. And they're talented. Awesome. Very talented, yes. That's going to be cool. Well, there you go, Adam. That's your that's your sneak peek. <laughs> <laughs> Just for you, Adam. <laughs> so entirely swapping gears, I guess not entirely, but one of the things that I wanted to make sure we asked you about was Fate Crafters. Can you tell us about Fate Crafters and what that is? Yeah, I'm very, I'm very proud of Fate Crafters. Fate Crafters is a network of audio dramas, but it's different. There's, this doesn't come at folks 
you know, with a whole lot of money of some kind of big company behind it where we can pop up on the front banner of iTunes and number one rank without even having an episode out, right? But that's the reality of audio drama. As it gets more popular, of course, more money is going to come into it. And that's not necessarily a good thing, especially from an independent creator's perspective. Uh, If it, I'm very much a forward thinker. It's part of, again, my military training. I'm not planning for today. I'm already looking five years down the road. That's just the nature of who I am. And I have seen this coming for at least a year. I've been actually worried about it. What happens when? Do all of us disappear? You know, do do we, does audio drama become the new self-publishing where there's 10,000 books released every day and you mm-hmm. can't tell the crap from the good ones and the good authors that just could never catch the eye of an agent or whatever it may be, um, they get lost in that noise. I worry about those things. So I started Fake Crafters, and it was a lot to get going initially, and it kind of just faded into the background until one day I was sitting in a local pub writing some episodes of Diary of a Madman because that's where he's at his best is when he's (laughs) eating chicken wings and drinking dark beer. And, uh, uh, Austin Beach from Audio Oblivious messaged me and he said, hey, what do you think about uh, starting a network and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, I already have Fate Crafters. It's pretty much dead in the water. Um, what do you think about re- relaunching it? Here's some conditions that I would need from you if we're going to do this because I don't want to become an administrator. I don't want to run a business. I want to create. I've already done that in my professional life. I want to create. And he was totally on board. So it was officially born again. And we went out and we reached out to a number of audio dramas and said, hey, this is what we're thinking. Would you like to join us? And they did. And it's been going gangbusters. All signs are green. Um, I'm like, I am so overwhelmed by the response of the audio drama community because of it. We've got, and I'm going to, if I forget somebody, please, I totally apologize. But we've got my three shows. We've got Audio Oblivious and all the cool stuff that they do. We've got the tunnels. Uh, my favorite private eye show, Rex River, joined us. And that was a that was a dream for me. I don't like noir. I don't like 1940s, 50s, 60s era stories, mm-hmm. but I love that show. There's something about the way they tell it and they produce it that I fell in love with it from the first time I heard it. So they joined. Spines joined us. Um, Pulpery Theater joined us. I'm going to forget somebody. I know it. Uh, but we started, it's a co-op. The thing that makes Fate Crafters different than every other network out there is we don't have the money to push you. We don't have the connections to put, to call somebody at iTunes and say, hey, we've got this new thing coming. Put, them, put us number one on your charts. We, we're, we're totally grassroots. We are your local you know, co-op farmer's market. We all pitch in together. There is no money changing hands. We just help each other. And through that, um, we've been able to expand. Lake Clarity has recently joined us. Oh, White Noise. I knew I was forgetting somebody. I'm sorry, Dohai. So White Noise is also a founding member. So Lake Clarity joined us. Darker Projects, a long-standing audio drama, just joined us uh, this week. And we've got another one that we're currently taking a vote on. Uh, so we, I can, I wish I could give you information. It's a very big horror podcast, uh, but they'll be joining us. 
with <laughs> the way it's looking, they're going to win in a, in a landslide, so they'll be joining us very soon too. The neat thing about it is, again, we're all just helping each other. We're spreading the word on our shows about each other's shows. We make sure we trumpet each other on Audio Drama Sunday or you know, whenever one of our fans is going, hey, I would like to hear something like your show, but you're in your off season. We can go, hey, did you know this thing is over there? As far as I know, it's the only purely uh, purely co-op, non-monetary audio drama network out there. And there's a lot of interest in it, so much so that I can't keep up with the folks who are going, hey, how do I get in on Fake Crafters? Nice. So it, it, if your listeners are interested and they want to um, support the little people and find new audio drama, new storytellers, all they have to do is go to fakecrafters.net, not fakecrafters.net, and uh, they're, all of our shows are listed out there so they could find every, everybody. A bunch of good people, just absolutely wonderful people. Oh, Drift and Ramble. I knew I was going to forget somebody else. They are also a member of, uh, you know, a founding member of the network. Sorry, everyone. I told you I'd forget. <laughs> and and Paul, um, so we see on your on your on your site uh, that you're using Patreon to help support your your projects. Um, what has been working for you in, in regards to that, and how are you utilizing Patreon? I'm gonna be completely candid with everybody who wants to be a creative, wants to leverage Patreon, and. Um, doesn't know what to do with their own Patreon should they get to that point. I've been using it since its inception because, again, I've been podcasting since 2011. Mm -hmm. um, so I was there long before Patreon was. And when it came around, I loved, loved it and jumped right on board. What I have found and what's always run, rang true to me is that the people who can and want to support you are going to, no matter what you build for your rewards, no matter what you tease them with, they're going to support you. Having said that, you can fine-tune it for the people who are. So what I mean by that is uh, I have found it doesn't matter what your rewards are. You could hand out Corvettes. If someone doesn't want to support you, they're not going to. But if they do want to support you, they will. Even if it's a dollar a month, they will support you. And then when you fine-tune it is where you can um, you can encourage those other those you know, extra layered uh, additional donations, if you want to say it like that. I really have stripped my down. I think the key is, as creatives, we need to make sure that our creative energy is protected at all costs. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you build a Patreon that exhausts you because you've got to do this thing, then this thing, now you got to host a, a, a hangout on Google, on YouTube, uh, and you and that sucks the energy or more importantly sucks the writing time out of you you're really doing a disservice to yourself for in, unless you're one of the exceptions for just what amounts to a couple dollars and mm -hmm. you know is it really worth it so what i have found is that's where my short stories have really um really helped me as a as a writer but also given those bonuses to my patrons both Subject Found and Diary of a Madman ended in March of 2017. Both of them are already in the recording process. The next step is the production of the shows. So we're not close to launching, but we're not forever away either. But in the meantime, I'm giving my uh, 
patrons at different levels access to these new fresh standalone stories. And it's a great way for me to stay engaged with them and a fun way. One of the things that I came up with and I didn't know if it would work or not. And it's been going like gangbusters. If you compare people's Patreon pages, most fans don't interact with the creators. They don't talk to you on there or, you know, they do that stuff other places. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been very pleased with how much engagement I get because I'll run polls. Once I got over a certain goal level, I told them, I'll start writing flash fiction. I've never done it, but I'll start writing flash fiction if you get me to this goal. And this is how we're going to do it. And what I do is I basically create a poll. I, I, I have a word aggregator on my phone. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I will put in you know, one, two words or three words, one adjective, one verb, one noun, whatever. And then you just hit the, um, you hit the little scramble button. And it will bring up a two-word phrase or a three-word phrase of just completely arbitrary words. And I will create a four-choice poll. I'll, I'll keep it open for a week. And you, as my patrons, you vote on which title you like the most. And I will write a story for you for next month with that theme or that inspiration. And it's been a lot of fun. That sounds like fun. And it sounds like a, a really great way to still put your focus on the creative part of it without um, leaving your patrons out of the loop. Exactly. So cool. I, I feel like I've learned a ton from listening to you, Paul, and talking to you. Um, and I'm hoping that other people will want to continue this conversation. I know if other people would like to, uh, we have our Facebook group, which you are a part of. So if everybody, yes. if you have more questions, feel free to stop by facebook.com slash group slash Ninth Story Podcast and talk to Paul. Um, otherwise, where can people find you online, Paul? The nice thing that I've done in the off season, it affords me time to work on a website. I started, I launched my own website finally. Yay. All they have to do is just go over to paulsading.com and they will find everything about me uh, over there, including once we're done here, I will be putting the link to this uh, on that page. So other folks who don't know about Ninth Story will be able to find you all through that page. Yeah. So if they just go over there, they'll find probably more information than they care to about me. Thank you so much, Paul. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Thank you. Oh, of course, definitely. And, and like I said, that's the beauty of this community is I feel we we set the standard for taking care of each other and yeah. not doing that competitive bull crap. So I love being able to help other folks out. I do too, because really be, by in this environment, by being competitive, you're losing out. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to associate with them, but they have an audience who likes the stuff that you do. So, and you're also kind of, mm-hmm. you're also kind of creating it. You're also kind of creating in a vacuum at that point too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And we were all really good at that before, so why continue? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our cats run from the vacuum, so <laughs> they're not good at creating in a vacuum. <laughs> Well, thank every. I, uh, I just got a mental image from that. <laughs> Cats like, rolling around. It's just like their ears perk up, and it's like the little, two little flashes just going off in each direction. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> this is a question I never actually asked you. What is Winter's Harvest going to be for? Is that one of your uh, short stories that you've been creating? It is. Yeah, it's uh, one of the short stories. It's of course, it goes to patrons first mm-hmm. uh, and they and they get to enjoy it. They have been enjoying it, actually, I should say, for about a month now as of nice. April 2017. But I also I have 
you know, you all know how it is. I have bigger, we all have bigger plans for the things we create. Mm -hmm. So there will be an anthology someday that'll have an associated audio book that'll go with it as well to put out there. And who knows, uh, I've got promotional ideas that I would love to be able to do and it may be used for that. Or I just may release it with my patron's permission uh, on a feed one of these days. I really want, I don't want to keep that close hold. Again, yourself, and Dan did the narration, and God, I love oh, that man's voice. He did and so well. <laughs> it's, just, it's such a crime to withhold his voice, his narration from uh, the world. Mm-hmm. I could have, I told him in jest, but half seriousness, I could listen to him read his grocery list. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it would be fascinating. Just like, it would go be. for it, Dan. Tell me about those tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I liked your input about the Patreon, too, because, like, I have been toying with making a Patreon, but there's so many, like, I follow a lot of artists, um, just mostly to study (laughs) what they're putting out. Oh, yeah, Uh, definitely. And there's so many that just do so much. I'm like, that has to be your full-time job, and you're only making $132 a month, but you're doing so many things for your Patreon. Well, and that's, like, what, you you know, with you, I mean... Alexander, I don't know all of your skill sets, but Jeanette, I mean, you do visual arts as well. Yeah. I mean, e- even and just to drive engagement and to tease those things, if you were, I don't know, I cannot draw, but if you're 30% of the way through outlining something, just putting that up there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it dry, people. if you do a per month thing, I think you all would find success with that because there's so many things that you could, skill sets you could leverage. Yeah. Uh, to to drive that engagement and people just if they like you they're gonna they're gonna geek out about that stuff that, and I think that's the only thing that we have going for us because uh, we do so many things is what I'm trying to say um, rather than like playing myself down but yes uh, <laughs> we, we we I keep looking at all of the things that we do and going how do I focus any of this? There's so many interests and so many skill sets <laughs> beyond just like, hey, this is what I do. All of the things. So um, one of the things that I, I don't have time to edit, maybe Alex, you can do it for me someday. But uh, for the Wicked Library, I do the interviews for that. And then there's tons of stuff where I'm just talking to the people after we're, quote, done recording, where I'm just... We just go off on these wonderful tangents and it's like a good hour after the actual interview that we've continued conversation. So for those ones where I just ramble, I kind of want to cut those together as like Patreon rewards for the Wicked Library specifically or post those on Horror. I don't know. I haven't decided what to do with them yet. But uh, yeah, there's also long, ridiculous, decaffeinated things of me talking to myself during audio checks where I'm just like, (laughs) oh, like the goldfish story. Oh, my God. Hey. Yeah, we, that's right. We tied back into it. <laughs> so uh, this is a story that uh, I would bring up in during awkward conversations. Like, uh, there. <laughs> hopefully he'll never hear this podcast. But there is this one person who I do actually have to tell this story because the, the depth of how awkward this situation was is very important <laughs> to the birth of the goldfish story. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> Uh, back in college, I was part of the scenic paint crew and in, in, because I would just paint the sets with everybody. So there was like a team of a bunch of us, there's one guy and then the professor was also a man and then the rest of us were women. 
Now, this one guy dated all of the women except for me <laughs> at some point <laughs> or another. And he made just some really off-colored comment about somebody else that really, really, really did not sit well with any of these three ex-girlfriends who were around him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I could just, he dropped this, this comment, um, which we, we have a content warning. He, he had said, oh, blah, 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 is such a hymen hunter. Whoa. <laughs> like, just to show you how bad that was. And then right. these girls are all just looking at him like, like they are going to kill him with the backside of their paintbrushes right now. Oh, and gosh. I go, hey, so this one time I had a goldfish and that goldfish, he was really cute. I got him and he just swam around in a bowl and he'd swim around in circles. And then one day this goldfish started to get really, really big on the one side. So he could only swim in like in, with one fin and he, he got his circles got tighter and tighter and, and he started to look kind of mutated. And my mom and I decided, you know what? We really just don't want to see this goldfish like turn into a giant Frankenstein goldfish on one side and then a cute little goldfish on the other side so we took the goldfish and we poured him into the lake and I like to think that this goldfish lives on and had mutant frog babies with the frogs in the pond and that's the awkward goldfish story (laughs) so I said that to this group of very angry people it suddenly diffused the situation because it was so random (laughs) that right there you go now we can all just continue on with our day and then have a conversation about sexual harassment later (laughs) (laughs) but he owes you for getting him out of that oh he was gonna end up with so many stab wounds and no eyes Or, oh, or maybe that's... maybe castration. I'm not yeah. sure which which direction their fury was gonna go, but yeah, they were pissed. Some sort of bad, <laughs> some sort of bad joke with the punchline being uh, lack of genitalia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get folks. I mean, I'm sure I've said stupid things myself, but some folks say such outlandish things, mm-hmm. and they seem to have like no insight into why. It's, and, and I know it's subjective, but some there are people that just go way to the extremes uh-huh. of, I don't get it. I wonder what goes on. I'm so I'm fascinated <laughs> to know what goes on in and, their heads. And that's actually a part of the uh, the show Thirteen Reason Why. One of the episodes Jeanette was watching with me, uh, there was young adult young men not realizing how they had like a list of like different body parts who had the best body part from all these different girls in the school, and. Um, they're all like completely oblivious as to why it's not appropriate and why it makes people feel uncomfortable and self-conscious. Is this a, is this based on a, a, on real life type of thing or is this? I mean, I mean, I mean, personal? more more through observ- observation than anything it direct. It's personal. not it's not okay. You know, an actual like hey, based on a true story, but it's based on a lot of different people's um, you know experiences that mm-hmm. they all kind of put into this into this piece, and it's just really well written. Yeah, and that that's part of why I can't watch it is because um, it was calling back to too much of the bullying that I went through in high school that I had very successfully buried and forgotten about. Um, and then also, um, the I feel like in, in most people's high school experience, there's, there's one kid who dies when you're in high school. And yeah. it, it just, it really leaves, it's the first time you realize, oh my God, we are mortal. We're kids, but we could die now, you know, and and realizing that that sense of mortality and and dealing with the fact that 
your friend has just died. Um, for me, this show was too much because it called back too much to that very vulnerable moment in my life. And I was just click right back there during one of those scenes. I was just like, that's it. I am done. I cannot deal with this. I am mourning this person again. I am mourning these people that I, I knew had died and, and, you know, also grateful that like there were some of my friends who did almost commit suicide in high school and uh without me knowing it I helped them through it because I was just oblivious um (laughs) I guess thankfully because it it, my obliviousness to their sorrow meant all I paid attention to was their joy um so they made it through it you know um but it was it's scary what that show brought up for me was realizing how close a lot of people are to just giving up and like yep. how little it can take to push someone over the edge, you know, so that check this out. Yeah. is it a, is it age a, appropriate or yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, I mean, actually, there's, well, it's there, age appropriate yeah. for as honest age appropriateness. It's not okay. PG. It's what teenagers actually experience. So it's, I would say it's more attuned to an adult audience, but it's honest to what, teenagers yeah, there's, are there's experiencing no, there's no like nudity or or overly weird sexual content okay. or uh, but there's you know there's allu- allusions to things or the like the main character is remembering this girl at one point and he's having flashes of different I, just kind of random thoughts like a young man has thinking about a person right. sometimes you have inappropriate thoughts and he's thinking about her sexually at one point but just flashes Okay. So you're not really like it's just more like his brain going into weird places because he doesn't understand how to deal with the grief. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's not I said it's not something that you're going to feel entirely uncomfortable with your kid other than um, it's it's definitely something that's it's educational and helps people understand people a lot better. I mean, for our audiences, and I'm just going to say this because I think it's appropriate for us to, to kind of talk about this, is that uh, only a few days ago, a friend of ours, a close friend of, of me and Jeanette's uh, passed away. He, he took his life. Oh man! Sorry and, for that. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and we're both trying to process it and trying to figure out why because he was an actor. He was a good friend of ours, and he was an actor, and he always seemed like the most upbeat, positive person I've ever met. And so to have this happen to all of us, it just really took us all from uh, out of left field because mm-hmm. we had no idea uh, he was even going through any of these things. And um, even a friend of mine last night who's, you know, had, had somebody close to him pass away the same in the same, you know, similarly uh, that we were talking last night. So um, I think it's I think the show is really good for people to examine it first. I mean, in the first I got angry because you see this girl is basically forcing 13 people to relive all these things that they that happened and look at the worst parts of themselves and things that they don't do that are, are and how those things affect people. So you have 13 people that are kind of bummed out, horribly depressed because of listening to these tapes. But the more you watch the show, the more you get to unravel what's true and what's not and what really did happen. Uh, because some, yeah. some people become very defensive when you say, well, you are a part of the reason why. If someone ever to tell you, you're, part of, you're one of the reasons why someone took their life. Of yeah. course, you're going to get very defensive about that. And how yeah. do you deal with that? You know, ah, man, that sounds powerful. I it love. Is. I mean, it I is. love powerful storytelling that, you know, it keeps it tasteful, but still kind of explores the the fringes, mm-hmm. the things that you know, in, in proper company, you're not supposed to talk about type of thing. 
it, it's hard for me to find stories that really get to that point for me. So that, I'm I'm glad we I'm glad we got to chat anyways, and I got to meet yeah. you all. But <laughs> this is like add, you know added bonus right here. Yeah, now you have something to to go experience. I I think eventually I want to try and actually watch that whole series because it is really well written and because it it makes me think about things that I I don't generally want to ever pay attention to. As long as you're right. playing Zelda but, afterwards. Yeah, that's the thing. I have to balance it out. <laughs> so we, we, yeah, you've got to have that decompression yeah. time. You have to have it. It's it's for us. It's been the Legend of Zelda. The new Legend of Zelda game has been doing that for us. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I hey I hear you I go I uh I'm a PlayStation 4 geek myself. Nice. Well I shouldn't say that because I don't play it enough to qualify as a geek. But I'll get it you know especially if I'm like frustrated and I can feel my anxiety kind of edging up. Mm -hmm. I'll go crack out Witcher three and I'll just ride around on my horse and just you know slay monsters for nice. an hour or two. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and 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 for everybody in our audience uh, on a serious note, definitely if you're going through literally anything that you can't handle and you need somebody to talk to, we're all we're all here. You yeah, know, you are. can talk to any of us and, and, and say hello and hey, what's going on? And any of our fans can really reach out to us and even all of our contributors. If anybody's going through something, you know, personal and they want somebody to talk to off air, um, we're always here. You know, we're always here to listen. Mm -hmm. Stay creative. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. No, seriously. Like, definitely reach out. You're yeah, not alone. I, 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 don't, I don't know anybody. I really honestly don't know anybody in the audio drama community uh, that isn't approachable. I mean, there's a lot of incredibly busy folks and they, it may take three, four five days to get back to someone, but I don't know anybody in this community that wouldn't do just like you're saying, Alexander, if you get that message, they're going to, they're going to reach out. Yeah. Cause we all, we all realize like, do uh, you know how desperately disconnected we've been, you know, it, it, it can be really hard to find like in your actual own neighborhood, people that you really connect with it can be really hard <laughs> to find those true friends. And then the internet has made it so much easier and podcasts in particular have made it so much easier to really connect with people that you haven't met. Like the fact that I have heard your voice on other things means I already felt like we were best friends, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was and the I same mean, thing it, with it, Dan. I think with us, I don't know a creator who doesn't, you know, this stuff isn't born out of the lap of luxury mm -hmm. and comfort. This stuff comes from dark things that we struggle with. I mean, the the story I wrote for the lift. I mean, that w it wasn't a hundred percent accurate reflection of my life, but it's grounded in things that I have struggled with as my kids have gotten older, and that's where that story came from. It didn't come from you know a picnic in the park where we were throwing the frisbee back and forth <laughs> to each other. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Paul, for coming onto the podcast with us and talking to us and thank all of you who sent in your questions on the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash ninth story podcast. Uh, if you want to join the conversation before the conversation happens, you can do it there. We're going to try and introduce our authors earlier so that you guys actually have a chance to ask questions. And while we're on the subject of thank yous, thank you so much to our sponsor road microphones. You can find out more about them and all of their wonderful products over on their website, road.com. That's R-O-D-E.com. If you guys need more loveliness from us, you can find all sorts of it on horrormade.com, including artwork by me and poetry 
and Stories by Immortal Alexander over here. And if you want to talk to us, you can find us both at Ninth Story Podcast on Twitter. That is the easiest way to get a hold of us. There you go. That's all we ask. We love you. Stay creative, my friends. No question of the week? <gasps> question of the week. If you had to live under a rock, what would you wear? <laughs> that's a terrible question of the week. <laughs> think, think, but pa- I, think Patrick from SpongeBob. That's actually what I was thinking. I'd just, I'd just wear Patrick's outfit. Just, is it, was it yellow boxers? What does he wear? Uh, green boxers. Green boxers. All right. <laughs> You guys can correct us if we're wrong. <laughs> or, do, uh, do so on Twitter. Or maybe... No, here, here's a better one. If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? I would be a tree. Bad <laughs> <laughs> birch. Because it's really flaky. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a good one. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to Skype call testing service. After the beep, please record a message. Afterwards, your message will be played back to you. There was a time. I don't know when. When was it? About a quarter to ten. There was a time. I don't know when. When was it? If you are able to hear your own voice, then you have configured Skype correctly. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.